Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aronex podcast, the podcast looking at all that's changing around the maritime shipping and ocean space. My name's Craig Eason, I'm your host, and I'm also the owner and editor of Fathom World. Now, this is a bit like what's happening in Europe, because I'm actually in Brussels, and it just coincides with news that the discussions within the European Union body, um, which is looking at the developments of the emissions trading scheme, have provisionally agreed something relating to shipping. And it's fairly big news. So with me is Sotiris Raptis from EXA, the European Community Ship Owners Association, and Feg Absov from TND, Transport and Environment. Let's start with Sotiris because this is going to impact shipping. We've got um, provisionally coming out of the trilogue, which is the discussions between the Commission, the or rather more importantly, it's the discussions between the Parliament and the Council with the Commission being there as, as well. Um, what are we likely to see now? Um, what has been agreed in terms of shipping and the ETS? What's going to happen? First of all, we need to see the final text. There is uh, reportedly a provisional agreement. Um, we know from uh, the side of the parliament uh, the basic points included in this provisional agreement, but we haven't seen yet any text. Um, from the information in the press, um, what is important for us is that um, it seems to be um, earmarking uh, part of the e of the shipping revenues, shipping ETS revenues under the Innovation Fund. The reporter um, is talking um, on Twitter today about the earmarking of 20 million ETS allowances. This number corresponds to around uh, 1.5 billion euros only for the maritime sector. It seems that shipping will be the only sector uh, that has got earmarked revenues under the Innovation Fund. Current estimations um, are about, when it comes to the total pie, uh, have found that um, uh, the billions, the, the revenues under the Innovation Fund, around 10 billion euros, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but this, I think this is the latest estimation. Of course, this is subject to a final agreement. And shipping is taking uh, 1.5 billion out of that. What is also important is that under the year marking, the territoriality requirement has been removed and projects that uh, get financing under the Innovation Fund have to bring EU added value, but um, they don't need to, uh, to be carried out in EU territory. And third point that is really important for us is that um, it, it's not about breakthrough technologies, as is the case for other sectors under the Innovation Fund. Um, the co-legislators, the Parliament and um, the Council have recognized that shipping is one of the most difficult to decarbonize, and they have extended the scope um, of the Innovation Fund, covering also um, ship efficiency, port infrastructure, innovation, and importantly, the uptake of clean fuels in the sector. How is 
Now, let me actually go to Faig first, because is this good news from T&E's perspective? What's happening now, um, bearing in mind, as um, Soteris said, bearing in mind that it's not complete yet, but are you happy with what you've seen coming out of the discussion so far? We're very happy with the, with the way the discussions have gone. Um, obviously, you could always aim higher, and we should always aim higher, and there were... Um, more ambitious proposals on the table, but the final deal, as it has leaked to the media, it has been reported by the rapporteur, as Sotiris mentioned, is a very good deal. It will be the first time international shipping will be subject to carbon pricing, and it will be the first time such a measure will cover not only CO2 emissions, but also methane emissions as well as nitrous oxide emissions. And um, and also, I agree with my colleague um, that um, it's not only carbon pricing, but it's a carbon pricing as well as a recycling mechanism, meaning that uh, revenues will be finding its way. Part of the revenues will be recycled back to the sector to help uh, transition um, in, in, in this debate. But also there are, there are many other good elements as well. Ships, um, uh, small general cargo ships as well mm. as offshore vessels will be required to report their emissions as well. And that could be a subject for negotiation in the future uh, for their inclusion in the ETS as well. And that's a very interesting area because those ships are small. They have lower power requirements. They sail around the European coast. And that means that, you know, um, they could technically be decarbonized today. So in the future review, the EU will take this into account in terms of extending ETS to that. What, what's the first year that... Um ship owners and it's got to distinguish here it is the ship owners who are the reporting entity is it is it the ship owners and what year are they going to have to submit their first year of data 2024 paying um in 2025 but there's a phasing mechanism isn't there's it? a phasing mechanism meaning that emissions 40 percent of the emissions will be covered um the first uh, year of the system going gradually up to 100% in a three-year period, over a three-year period. But another element that is, another point that is really important for us, um, and this is something that we have uh, been campaigning uh, for a long time, is to address the right entity, to introduce mandatory requirements for the pass-through of the costs to the commercial operators when the ship owner is not responsible um, for running uh, their ships. Because in some segments of shipping, we've got ship owners that are asset managers. And it's not only about the business, different business models in the sector, it's also about the environmental consistency of the measure. If the commercial operator is not addressed, then the entity that takes decisions that affect the CO2 emissions of the ship are not encouraged to implement um, efficiency measures on board. So this is really important. And um, under the deal, there are mandatory requirements um, for the pass-through of the cost of the ETS cost uh, to the commercial operators. So it's going to be the commercial operators, bearing in mind what you said there, Faig, about it's not just CO2. So CO2, you can get that data from looking at the fuel that's being put on board, um, fuel delivery notes, for example, bunker delivery notes, sorry. Um, but when we're taking in other emissions, as Faig said, like methane and that, how is that going to be accounted for? How do you see that being resolved in terms of being able to accurately measure those kind of emissions? We'll have to check the details of the deal, but my understanding is that it's going to be the same modern method, but like maybe you have more information on that. 
Indeed. Um, there's a parallel regulation called Filia Maritime that already that will cover methane and nitrous oxide, and there is a well-developed methodology uh, to account for those emissions. And the same methodology will be um, part of the global life cycle accounting mechanism that IMO is working on. So there's a lot of work that has already been done. What we need to do is just to use the same existing methodology to apply to ETS. It will not require additional administrative burden on ships because everything that you need to do that calculation is already reported. It's just one additional automatized step to derive the uh, methane as well as nitrous oxide emissions um, um, uh, from, from the existing data. So it's, and, then, and then that's a very good point because, well, two points there. First of all is you've got this link between the ETS and fuel EU maritime and other um, EU-related legislation that's coming in under this Fit for 55 that link to shipping and also this connection to what's going on at the IMO as well. So this is all pushing a sort of a wave of legislation into the shipping industry, Soteris, which is all connected to each other. But let, let me go back a little bit as well because you mentioned 1.5 billion euros that could be going on an annual basis. No, up to 2030. Up to 2030. Yeah. So it's a total of 1.5 billion up until 2030 that shipping in its... At least. At least. At least. What sort of... You said that it doesn't have to have that. It's not as directly focused on being in Europe as it was. But what sort of projects, what sort of things can that money go to? You can only speculate at that moment. And this is the task uh, for the next day to get engaged in the implementation phase and to be in contact with the policymakers and with the commission when they decide how to spend the money. But this is the question um, of tomorrow. And this is, I mean, this is why we need to still work hard. Uh, and this is why we call uh, the provisional deal as, um, as an opportunity and as something that can uh, mark a turning point in the decarbonization of the shipping sector. Um, a lot of stuff needs to be done yet, but there is, this, is, um, this is a stepping stone. Um, how to spend the money? It's already encouraging, as I said before, that there is that the, the, the fund is opening up. They can finance more projects. It's not only about breaks and technologies. It's also about um, retrofitting. It can be also about retrofitting, ship efficiency, port infrastructure, and importantly, to bridge the gap, the substantial price gap between clean fuels and fuels currently used uh, by ships. So this is the contracts for difference discussion. Yeah. How do you see that working, Vague? Is there have you got any sort of insights or ideas of how we can bring in contracts for difference into the shipping industry? Indeed, we have been uh, campaigning for contracts for difference or carbon contracts for difference. There are two versions of it um, since uh, 2019, specifically for shipping. You know, in the context of um, um, extension of ETS to cover shipping. Ultimately, the biggest um, cost in the overall cost structure is, um, is the fuel, operation of maritime, operation of ships rather. And as ships will be required to switch to um, alternative, more expensive fuel, that means that the fuel's share in the overall operational cost will be even bigger. In terms of alternative fuels, um, we know what kind of fuels um, that can be sustainable and scalable. There's a lot of research on that one. Um, we also know that they're very expensive. The more sustainable, the more scalable it gets, the more expensive they become. 
ultimately, if you leave it to the market, uh, market will never be able to, to bridge that gap. The gap is too big. Sometimes four, sometimes five, sometimes six times more expensive. So what we need to do is we need to create a mechanism that um, helps the first mover, especially the first mover companies, um, to be able to use those alternative fuels, uh, but still be in operation, not to go bust, right? And the carbon contracts for difference, um, if applied to the user, to the shipping companies, can help pay for that gap. If that system is applied to the suppliers, that means that um, suppliers will get subsidies from the European Union and provide that fuel at the competitive to HFO price at the port. So depending on how you design it, um, you can have um, you know um, different actors involved. But ultimately, as Satyus rightly mentioned, this is not being discussed today. It was not discussed yesterday. That will be subject for discussions after the ETS is wrapped up. There is an implementing legislation that will be proposed by the European Commission, and that will define who they're going to be subsidizing, how much money is going to be getting, what are the um, criteria to select those projects. But what we know, and that's a big win, shipping will have its dedicated calls. In the past, ships would have to com uh, compete with planes, with cars, with power plants, cement factories for the money that that's being tendered. So having this separate fund, yeah. yes. this 1.5 billion, which will be dedicated to shipping or shipping related yeah. areas. The like market you market. But to clarify two things there. Number one, um, it is it is it is a huge change in the in the policy. Up until a few months ago there was a, it was a taboo to even think that innovation fund could ring fence money for one particular sector. We managed to you know uh, fix that problem. When I say we mean collectively. Secondly, 1.5 billion is an underestimation there. Ultimately, the way it's designed is about the 20 million allowances that will be sold to finance shipping. That 20 it's million the price of them on the market. Exactly. So if you use 80 euros per ton of CO2 today, you're getting 1.6 billion. But given that that kind of um, the time frame is up to 2030, we could only expect allowance price to go up and not down. That means that the amount of money that will be available for shipping could be even bigger. So 1.5, what Sutil is referring to, we usually say 1.6, would likely be a floor and not a ceiling. Most likely more money will be available. And the third point, this is at the EU level. Most of the ETS revenues will still go to national budgets. And member states are feel free to spend those ETS revenues on shipping as well through national budgets. They're already encouraged to do that from other sectors. Uh, obviously, they are not uh, specifically pointing out spending on cement. And, and that was exactly the argument uh, of the Commission uh, at the beginning against the year marking of the revenues under the Innovation Fund. That in other sectors, the money anyway is recycled back to the industry. Mm. And as a matter of fact, 80% of the current ETS revenues are used for the energy transition of the ETS sectors. And the Commission and the member states were saying why uh, you're asking for a preferential access to the revenues. The thing, though, is that, and this is um, where we had to make a strong point about the special nature of the industry. It's an international industry. And as we see now under the scope, it's also international voyages, EU-related, but international voyages included.
This is why we need earmarked money at European level as well. And our industry never campaigned for free allowances, but instead we said that we need our part, our share, under the innovation funding. Um, it was a difficult fight. Um, we, at, 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 at the last, uh, during the last weeks, we were expecting that um, special calls will be in the deal, uh, but we didn't expect um, a number. And this is the outcome of, um, of hard work uh, coming from all uh, the industry stakeholders and the NGOs. We managed to uh, have a common strong voice and convince the policymakers that without recycling the money back to the industry, decarbonization cannot happen. And we're not here to invent the wheel. We need to draw lessons uh, from other sectors, how they did it the last 20 years in Europe. The ETS has operated as a big, big um, uh, fund to incentivize, to encourage um, the uptake of clean fuels and renewable, renewable fuels. It wasn't really the price signal um, five, six years ago that pushed uh, the power sector um, uh, to start decarbonizing. It was different measures and there we've got the fuel EU maritime and this is why we also need an ambitious fuel EU maritime. And if you bring all these different measures together, where the ETS really contributes is that it sends uh, a signal to the market, but it also recycles the revenues back to the industries. Uh, importantly, to bridge the price gap. The price gap is, is, is substantial in all sectors, more substantial in the shipping industry. Good. Thank you very much, both of you, for giving me a some point of criticism on, on the deal. IMO, the IMO clause. We would like to see much stronger language um, for the alignment of the two systems. Uh, we understand that there is a reference that um, the two systems uh, shall be coherent, but we would like to see much stronger language and a full alignment of the two systems when the IMO comes up with their own measures. Just quickly to react to that. Um, I think it's, it's it was a very good decision on the part of the legislators not to preemptively give up on their sovereignty and on their responsibility to keep on acting on shipping emissions at the EU level and not to prejudge the outcome of the IMO. I think um, the experience with aviation gives us a lot of ground to expect that international negotiations usually return a lowest common denominator and that you don't want to give up something that's more ambitious at this for the sake of having just a global measure. And I think uh, the regulators have drawn good lessons from that and that having those safeguards in place that will consider coherent application of those two systems as opposed to giving up on the EU and the taking IMO as for granted. I think um, from the environmental perspective, as, uh, as a representative of NGO, we're very content with that outcome. Good. Well, Soteris, Feig, thank you very much for allowing me to come and have a chat with you today here in Brussels. This is Craig Eason on the Aranax podcast. You can find more about this and other subjects relating to regulation, shipping and transformation and the ETS, of course, if you go to fathom.world. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter and look for the podcast and make sure you like this uh, to get any other updates. Thank you and goodbye.